Good morning. What a wonderful time of worship this morning. I always just really appreciate taking communion together as a family and remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for us. What a, what a blessing it is to be able to do that. Amen? Amen. Uh, who was here last weekend for Missions Weekend? Anybody? Man, was that awesome or what? That was uh, an amazing time. If you missed it, sorry, you missed it. I mean, it was, we had all of our missionary partners represented out in the lobby. There were tables all the way down the hallway. We went, you could go down. The kids had these little passports that they took to all the different tables to the missionaries and got their passport marked, and it was just a great time. And uh, last week, we had a special offering that we took for uh, missions, and the, the, uh, that came in. So I can thankfully report to you that we raised uh, $37,000 for missions last weekend. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I don't know what the mission team's going to do with that. We're just going to extend God's kingdom, right, Pat? In all the earth. Here we go. We gotta, we're going to do that. So we're really excited about that. And um, it was neat to see all of our missionary partners, see them face-to-face, talk with them a little bit. Um, there was, it was just so neat to be a part of that and see what God's doing, not just here at Mission View Church, but all over the world. I mean, as far as Tajikistan, and it's just amazing, amazing to see what God is doing. So uh, we had Craig Peters preach last weekend. I loved it. It was amazing. So if you, didn't, if you weren't able to be here for, to see all the missionary parties, you can actually get on and watch the service from last week and kind of get a glimpse of what was going on and hear an amazing sermon uh, from Pastor Craig Peters. He's with Equip Ministries. He's one of our missionary partners. He goes throughout all around the world training pastors um, on, on, on Bible stuff, guys that don't have, in third world countries, that don't have seminaries to go to. Craig takes the seminary to them, and is training pastors all over the world. So phenomenal preacher, great guy, and I was so glad to have him. This week, we are back in our study uh, in Daniel. It's called Thriving in a Corrupt Culture. Uh, I've named this sermon Party Crasher because uh, there's this huge party the king's throwing on, and it gets crashed really quick. So anyways, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 5. Since we took a week off, though, I want to kind of give us kind of a... um, kind of recap of everything that's been going on. Um, Daniel was of royal descent in Israel there. He was, he was a, you know, he's one of the who's who in Jerusalem. But um, Jerusalem gets overthrown and, and the Israelites are taken into exile. And Daniel's one of those first guys. There's three times that the Babylonian king comes in and takes people and conquers Jerusalem three times. The first time he goes through, he comes in and conquers, and he takes some of the royals and some of the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Daniel's one of those guys. So he gets taken into exile in the first exile. And in that first chapter, we see Daniel go into exile. Nebuchadnezzar takes him and tries to brainwash him, puts him in his three-year school of Babylonian thinking with the Chaldeans and all these different things. And, And the king demands that they eat this food that they're not supposed to eat according to God's word. And Daniel stands his ground in the face of this crazy king who like, wants to tear people limb from limb and throws people in fiery furnaces. This guy is like a tyrant. He was terrible. And Daniel stands his ground. He's like, I'm not going to eat this food. And he, he makes a deal with this guy. And he says, hey, let me and, and my guys eat the food that the Lord allows, our God allows us to eat. And hey, if we don't look as good or better than the guys eating your food, then we'll eat your food. He does this deal with them. And so they eat, you know, vegetables and those kinds of things. And, and at the end of this time, Daniel and his guys are looking even better 
than the people or the guys that were eating the king's food. So Daniel stands his ground, and, and it's a real miraculous thing that happens. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. The king, the crazy king, has a dream, and only Daniel can interpret it. This is the dream he has, and he kind of forgets his own dream. He knows parts of it, but he wants his magicians and sorcerers and all of his you know, guys to come and interpret. Nobody can interpret it. And he's like, I'm going to tear everybody limb from limb. And Daniel steps up and he goes, no, 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 I'll interpret the dream, even though he doesn't have an interpretation, right? Then he goes back to his guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rakshak and Benny. You know, he goes to them and he says, hey, we got to interpret this dream, so we better go to the Lord, like, right? So he claims he can, he claims he can interpret this dream before he even has that. that that's faith, right? I mean, that's, that's real faith. And he does, right? Daniel interprets this dream and King Nebuchadnezzar ends up worshiping Daniel's God again. We see this kind of a theme, right, going on in these first few chapters. Then chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar goes from worshiping the one true God to making a golden image that represents himself. And then he demands that everyone bow down and worship it, this, this you know, golden thing that he's made of himself. Well, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are not about that, right? because they worship the one and true God. So they stand up once again to this tyrant king and say, no, we're not going to do this. And man, is he mad. He gets, I mean, he gets so mad. He, he has this fiery furnace and he says, turn it up seven times hotter than it's ever been before. And he calls the strongest men from his army to take Shadrach, Meshach, and throw them into this fiery furnace. And in fact, these strong guys from the army die before they even get cl- close enough to this fire furnace. They die and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into this fiery furnace, but the king's looking in the furnace, and he says, wait a second, didn't we throw three guys in there? Why do I see four guys? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire, hanging out with Jesus, and they're in there, and they walk out of the fire. The king calls, hey guys, get out of there, come out of here, what's going on? And three guys walk out of the fire, it says that they didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, they didn't even smell like it. Anybody got a smoker here? Any smokers out there? Right? I got a smoker. I smoked some meat yesterday. I'll tell you what, I still smell like smoke today. I've showered two times, and I still smell like my smoker. Scott came up to me this morning. He goes, hey, man, did you smoke some meat or what? Yeah, I mean, I gave it away, right? You smell like smoke. These guys didn't even smell like smoke. They walk out of a fire, didn't even smell like smoke. Well, Nebuchadnezzar ends up worshiping the one true God again. It's this amazing picture of God being powerful in the midst of people who didn't know him and God being powerful in the lives of people who knew him. Really cool stuff. Well, chapter four, last time we talked about this, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream about himself being turned into a monster, right? And he has this dream and nobody can interpret it except for Daniel. So Daniel interprets this dream and he says, oh man, that mon- that's you. You're going to be turned into this werewolf type thing, vegetarian werewolf thing. And you're going to you know, be in the field. You're going to be this beast and eat. Well, a year passes. The king kind of forgets about this prophecy and he's standing, you know, probably in one of his highest towers looking out at his kingdom. And he's, he's just full of himself. I mean, full of pride. And he starts speaking these words of I am so great. Look at my vast kingdom. And the Bible says, before the words could even fall off his lips, he is turned into this beast, and he loses his kingdom, and he's out in the field eating grass, right? This vegetarian werewolf monster thing. And he's, he's like that for a long, long time. But God restores him. We see this amazing faithfulness and kindness and mercy and grace 
from God in the life of a tyrant king. After this time of being a beast in the field, God doesn't just turn him back into Nebuchadnezzar the king. He actually extends his kingdom. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped God. Man, if God can go after Nebuchadnezzar like that, we found out that he could go after anybody. God's grace and mercy are far beyond anything we can comprehend. All right, this week we pick up the story in about 539 B.C. after Nebuchadnezzar has died at the ripe old age of 104 and his son and grandson are ruling Babylon. Now, we're going to talk about his grandson today. He's going crazy while his dad is away, um, and he's ruling. They've kind of split the kingdom a little bit, and his dad's away, and, and the son is like going crazy. You just think about like some just kid going nuts. When, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? That's what we're about to see. Let's pick it up. Let's pray before we pick it up in chapter 5 of Daniel. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. As we open it today, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, change our hearts for your kingdom and for your glory. We submit to your word. We lay our will down right now at your feet. We say, not our will, but your will be done. Father, use me as, your, as a tool to, to speak your truth. Give me the words for you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had had be brought to them. Okay, so uh, I want to make a real quick note here. This word in the Hebrew here, um, his father, um, actually means a predecessor. So we say father and, you know, you think of your dad, right? Well, the word in the Old Testament um, for the Hebrew word trans translated here is actually predecessor or ancestor. So think of it like Father Abraham. You know, he had, you remember that song when you were a kid, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, right? Father Abraham. Well, it's kind of, that's kind of the word in the Old Testament. This is ancestor or uh, predecessor. So Actually, um, Nebuchadnezzar's son was Nabonidus, and um, Nabonidus was a terrible ruler that divided the people of Babylon with his poor leadership, and he lived far away in Arabia. So, so we have Belshazzar, which is the grandson um, of Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem to be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay, this was a crazy party. We're talking a thousand lords. So we're just, so it's lords, and then there's wives, and there's concubines, and there's servants, and everything else. A lot of theologians think that there was upwards of 15,000 people at this party. Like, crazy party. Usually, now, it's a crazy party, too, because usually when the drinking began, as we see in Old Testament stories, uh, the, the ladies would leave, and the men would be staying at this party and drinking, like we saw in Esther, if you read through the story of Esther. 
The men would be left drinking and partying, but not at this party. This was going to be crazy, sinful, and all sorts of wild. Now, crazy thing about that is we still have stuff like this today, don't we? What are some? What are some of the what are some of these big parties we have today? Like Mardi Gras? What else? I mean, you go, you hear about these things, hopefully you don't go to these things, but you hear about these things and all sorts of things inappropriate going on at Mardi Gras or St. Patrick's Day parties or Cinco de Mayo, those kinds of things that late at night that go on all night or whatever. But this gets even worse. This party gets even worse because the king doesn't want just to have a great party or crazy wild party, inappropriate party. He wants to make a point. He wants to make a point. It's, it's not just that we're going to be drinking and all types of debauchery and, and fallen things, but we're going to go and take those golden vessels that are set aside that I saw my grandfather and my father had set aside that were holy and set apart from all other worship things that nobody's allowed to touch. You know who's going to touch them? Me, Right? Belshazzar is like, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be, hey, go get, those, go get those holy relics or those things that nobody's allowed to touch. You know, go bring those. That's what we're going to drink from. And then, then he kind of makes a point of it, right? He drinks in front of all of them. 15,000 people, and he's like, yep, this is me. This is my cup, and I'm making a point. Now, think of the stories. Think of the stories that we've heard up to this point, how God has done miraculous thing after miraculous thing in the lives of the people of Babylon. Like, God has made a point that he is the one true God, and he has drawn a line over and over again with Nebuchadnezzar, and we know that Belshazzar and Nabonidus are aware of these happenings, right? So um, this isn't going to end well. I'm just saying all that to let you know this is not going to end well. And uh, verse 5, it says, Immediately... The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. All right, we would pretty much freak out, right? Like if a hand showed up and started writing on the brick wall over there, we would freak out. And that's exactly what happens here. The, it wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Just some insight here. The Hebrew word for translating limbs gave away. He lost control of his bowels. Okay, I'll let it go there. And his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. All right, totally freaking out. And here's, the, here's what I want us to really grab from this section here. It's the first fill in, in your notes. As you came in, you should receive a program. You can follow along in some notes there. The first fill in is this, is that God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. God is faithful, true, righteous, perfect, long-suffering, patient, and kind, but there is a line. 
A line that gets crossed and his hand of discipline comes down. For Christians, it's a loving discipline from a father that cares about us and it's leading us to change and grow in our relationship with him and others. But here in Daniel, this is God's judgment on a wicked people who were trying to make a statement against the one true and holy God. Taking what they knew to be holy and set apart items for worship of the one true God and using them Now get this, using them for their own pleasure. Using them for their own pleasure. Our society can choose, even today, can choose to go against God's word, but it's only a matter of time before God will remove his hand of protection or mercy. It's only a matter of time. There are times throughout history where God has given, God's given people what they want, in order to show them what they need. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Has God ever given you something you've wanted and then you're like, oh no. (laughs) Maybe it's that new job, right? Like you have prayed. You have prayed for months, maybe years. Oh Lord, I just... It's just that new job. I, I, you know, I, I, I need that new job. I know what it is. I want to be a manager here. Lord, would you just give me that job? And finally, you get the call. Or the job pops up on LinkedIn or something. You, you sign up for it. You get the interview. It goes great. You get the job. And then after three weeks, you're like, what have I done? What have I done? I had no idea how good I had it. You know, I had no idea. I should have just been content. I should have just been happy with, yeah, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Hey, I forget who told me. It's my, probably my dad. He says, Matt, the grass is greener where you fertilize it and care for it, water it, and work at it. Now, all of us have experienced times in our life where we think we know what we want, we think we know what we need, and we go after it, we go after it, we go after it, and God and His grace gives it to us, but we find out that God is actually showing us that, that discontentment we had or where we were, where we, with where we were, wasn't healthy. It wasn't right, and he had us right where he wanted us. Sometimes the things that we want may not be the best things for us, right? Maybe it's not a job. Maybe it's things we shouldn't be longing after. It's hard because our hearts are fickle, and our emotions are so strong. Our, Our desires and feelings tend to lead us when they're meant not to lead us, but to warn us. Our emotions are meant to be warning signals or sirens that that go off and cause us to pause and seek God, not react immediately. But too often we go through a difficult situation and instead of letting our emotions warn us, we let them lead us. We don't pause, we instantly react. The reason behind this is found in our hearts. It's found in our hearts. Other things have parts of our heart rather than God. People, things, or ideas capture our affections, our attention, or worship. And when those things are challenged or, or even taken from us, we're quick to react instead of pause and seek God's guidance. Now, Belshazzar knew better. He grew up knowing and hearing the stories of Daniel and his God. He knew enough about it that he sent his people in to get the holy relics or or items that were set aside for the worship of Daniel's God, the one true God, Jehovah. But there was something else that had his heart, something else he worshipped. 
pleasure, self-indulgence, and self-gratification. His self-glorification had gotten to a point of straight-up denial, defiance, and mocking God. Now, we need to think, the Babylonians, Belshazzar, didn't get there overnight. I mean, this didn't happen like Nebuchadnezzar didn't die, and then this was the next night. This happened over generations. This happened over a long period of time. Sin doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow burn. It's a frog in the pot. It happens over decades. One, what one generation sees as repulsive, the next generation sees as tolerable, the next sees as acceptable, and then the next sees as praiseworthy, praiseable. What are some things in our world, in our culture, that have been slowly creeping their way into acceptability? Now, I'm not talking months here. We're talking decades. We're talking generations. Having a conversation with your grandfather or grandmother or great-grandfather or great-grandmother if they're still around. What are some things that have crept into our culture? But even deeper than that, it's not just things in our culture. What, what are the things in our lives personally that have creeped in? In our Christian walk, we are either growing in holiness, pursuing Christ, or we are deteriorating and growing cold. There is no stagnation in a Christian walk. There's, There's no flatlining. We are either pursuing God passionately, running after Him, or our Christian walk is declining and decreasing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as flatline or stagnation. Now, we can look out at the world around us and see clearly the slow change. But how is it that we see the slow change in our hearts and in our lives? This is where we really, really have to have relationship with other believers. Now, at Mission View Church, one of our key values is community groups. And the reason that's one of our key values isn't just for the care piece that Josh was talking about earlier, but it's, it's the accountability piece. That you, that we, as we read through the Bible, especially the New Testament, we hear these words one another over and over again. That there's this unspoken, well, there's a spoken expectation in the Bible that we would do life together. That you were created to have relationship with other believers. And in that relationship, you would work through the difficulties of life. And you know, I've heard, I've heard a pastor say, well, multiple pastors say, man, church would be great if it weren't for the people, right? What's the church? People. The the church isn't a building. The church isn't base camp. It's not the building we're building. The church isn't this Hoover High School auditorium. You, me, we are the church. There's no church without people. Well, here's what those pastors are talking about when they say that, is that people are difficult. You're difficult. Just look at your neighbor and say, you're difficult. Right? Isn't this this uplifting sermon as we go and seek God today? May you be uplifted, brothers. Okay, you can stop telling them. They're difficult, okay? Wow, tough crowd here. 
No, right there. But that's the beauty of relationship. That's the beauty of one another. That's the beauty of the gospel because in difficult relationship, as we struggle in relationship with one another, as we say things we shouldn't say or do things that we shouldn't do, we have the opportunity to walk in grace and mercy for one another. And what is that? It's the gospel. Because Jesus came and died for my sin, for my difficultness, for, for the struggles that I would have, for the sin in my life. And I find forgiveness and grace and mercy, and I'm free, I'm set free. Now you and I, as we walk through life together and we make mistakes together, we have this beautiful opportunity to forgive one another. And the world looks in on that and they're like, Hey, I thought that that dude was saying all kinds of crazy stuff about you. That didn't he lie about you, or didn't he say what was going on with all that? And you're like, yeah, you know what he did, and you know what he came to me and he confessed to that. He asked for for forgiveness for that, and and we're I mean we're good, man, and we're brothers. We don't brothers don't part ways because of silliness. Brothers don't part ways because of sin against one another. That strengthens our relationship because I forgive him because God forgave me through what Christ did for me. And it's not just a broken relationship. It's a restored relationship that is stronger than the relationship before because we've been vulnerable, we've been honest, and we've been forgiving to one another. The beauty of relationship together that's what God is calling us to. That's why we need these relationships together. Because, I mean, let's be honest. We, we could be going through this Christian walk, and these, just like in Babylon, these things can creep in real slow. Belshazzar knew better. Nabonidus, he knew even better than him. Nebuchadnezzar figured it out. But it was only, it was only three, three, three down, man. And they were going in, taking the things they shouldn't take, doing the things they shouldn't do. I wonder what it would have been like if Belshazzar had his dad there, holding him accountable, remembering those things. As we're in relationship together, it calls us to unity, it calls us to pursue holiness, and we encourage one another. As iron sharpens iron, the, the word says. Let's pick it up, verse 8. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Imagine that. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed again. If he went from, from like normal to white, maybe he's green at this point. I don't know. His color changed again. And his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods and the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation." The second film, what we're going to talk about here in this section is this, is that the world never understands God's word. The world never understands the word of God. The writing was plain to see on the wall, but they couldn't read it. They didn't have the capacity to understand it. 
God's truth doesn't make sense to people who don't have relationship with God. God's truth is foolishness to those who don't have the very power of the living Holy Spirit in them to show them and reveal to them the truth that's right in front of them. Now, the Bible may sound like good moral or practical workings to them, but it doesn't have the life-changing, heart-changing power that comes with a relationship with God and the power of His Spirit in us. It's not that God didn't want the king not to get the message, because he did, right? God just wanted him to know where the message came from. Truth isn't words on the wall. Truth is a person. Here's what that means. Real, life-sustaining, and life-giving truth can only be found in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We look at Jesus' life and teaching and see our Creator revealed in real life. We read the history of God's people in the Bible and we see power, sovereignty, promises, and faithfulness that God is. God reveals Himself to us and invites us into relationship with Him. And when we give our lives to Him in surrender, God puts His Spirit into us. And he begins to open our eyes to his truth more and more of him. This is the revelation that brings modification. The Bible becomes more than a history book or a moral guidebook. It becomes life to us and feeds our hearts and minds. The revelation of God brings modification to our hearts. When we meet God, we are changed. We are changed. The world is seeking for truth, purpose, hope, and destiny. But all of those things can only be found in Jesus. We can find shadows of those things, counterfeits, temporary fixes, band-aids on bullet wounds, but only Jesus can bring all of those things to us permanently, ultimately, and eternally. God hasn't written on the wall of Hoover High because He's already written this book. Our job is to share the truth with those who would listen, to those who would hear. When the world is looking for truth and they're telling you that it doesn't exist, when they're looking for purpose and finding just counterfeits of it, when they're desiring destiny, and just going to dead ends. We are a people who can introduce them to the answer, and His name is Jesus. It is a relationship with their Creator, Jesus Christ. That's what we have to offer. And there is nothing better. How many stories do we have to see today in our culture? How many, how many lives do we have to see fall apart? Millionaires, famous actors, athletes that overdose, that end up in jail. <clears throat> they had it all and they lose it all because what they thought would bring them contentment, what they thought 
would bring them joy left them empty and wanting because it's all counterfeit. But you and I, brother or sister in Christ, we have purpose. We have destiny. And we have eternal hope, ultimate hope and peace and joy because we have Jesus Christ. And that's what we offer to the world. A revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. Now we share that, right? Like we share the gospel, the good news. And then we let God do his thing, right? Because it takes supernatural revelation of God. We can share the truth. There could be actual writing on a wall. A hand could show up and write something on the wall. And there would still be somebody sitting in here going, yeah, I still don't believe in God. It takes supernatural intervention of God revealing himself to someone. But that's what he does. He did that for you, and he's done that for me. And he's going to do it for so many more as we share the truth with them. Let's look at verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, All peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored." Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter, Mene. 
God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Isn't that interesting? Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom that very night. Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Wow, what a story, right? This is crazy. The third felony notice is this. God's word always comes to pass. What God says is true, and what he says happens. The first thing I want to point out about this section is the prophetic implications here. This is remarkable. We know that Daniel prophesied that the Babylonian Empire would be overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire, and it comes to pass right here. We're looking at a prophecy 50, 60 years prior coming to pass right before our eyes. We saw earlier that God foretold the coming future where Babylon's overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire and then they are overthrown by the Grecian Empire, and then they're overthrown by Rome. And this is the first fulfillment of that prophecy, the first step. This is not found in just in the Bible. It's found in our history books that we have available today. The history books don't tell the future. They tell the history. God's Word tells the future. Big difference. And like we talked about earlier in this series, the Bible is no ordinary book. It's God's own word. Now, the next thing I want us to understand about this is that if God's word always comes to pass and the Bible prophecies have come to pass and there's still more prophecies that are supposed to come to pass, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Think about this. This prophecy earlier on, if we, if we go back to it, it was that the Babylonian Empire, the Medio persian Empire, we know the Grecian Empire is going to come in and conquer the Persians, and then Rome's going to conquer Greece. Okay, if I told you 15 years ago to buy Apple, Bitcoin, Disney, Tesla stocks when they first hit the markets, you would thank me, right? Because you would be super rich. You'd be like, hey, thanks for the stocks tip, Matt. You know, I, my bank accounts are full. You know, I'll pay for the building, right? Let's say that happened. What if I came to you today and I said, hey, go buy this stock, this stock, and this stock. What would you do? Oh, don't, don't be quiet. What would you do? You'd buy them, right? I mean, you, I mean, you got money in the bank. Everything I told you to buy, I mean, it happened like that. Everything in here has happened. And we're hesitating? Or how about this? Everything in here has happened and we're still fearful? We're still worried about tomorrow? We know who wins. Not only do we know who wins, we know how he wins. Now we may not know like the day or hour of, of that winning thing happening, you know, the final win. But we know he's going to win. I mean, I, I might be good on two or three stocks or whatever. God's been right about hundreds, hundreds of prophecies that tell the future. Listen, if you're here and you don't trust God with your tomorrow, trust God with your tomorrow. 
Everything he has said has come to pass. He is the one true God, the one true deity. There is no other. There is no other like him. He is set apart, set aside, and above all others. And one day, every, tongue, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that he is the one true God. That's what it says in here. That's one of those prophecies. So you will either bow your knee now and then run from here joyfully and thankfully and filled with confidence, or you will bow your knee face to face one day in fear and trembling and know that you messed up. The prophecies, uh, and, and we're, just, we're just getting to the tip of the iceberg here, all right? Over the next, next week, we'll go into chapter 6, but the weeks after that, it's all apocalyptic literature. It's all end times events. God, through dreams that he gives Daniel, is going to tell us the future, and you're going to hear the future, and that's what's going to come to pass, and I think we're seeing even some of it come to pass even now. If you don't have a relationship with God. Like we just said in the last point, you need a revelation of the one true God who loves you. And here's the truth. We've already talked about it. It's his gospel. It is the good news that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that you and I can't live and then die a sinner's death that you and I deserve. When Jesus hung on the cross, it was for you and me. In every sin you have committed or will commit, Jesus knew about. God knew about, and he still sent Jesus to die for me and you. That is the glorious grace we find in Jesus Christ. And he says, trust in me. You're trying to live that perfect life. You're trying to do it all right, and you can't, and you won't, but I did. And when you just trust in him, you lay your life at his feet. You say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not worried about my tomorrow. My tomorrow is yours. Everything I have is yours. Use me as you will. And you put your trust in the life and perfectness of Jesus Christ. When you see God face to face, he's not going to ask for your resume. He's going to see Jesus's. And you, you will enter into his heaven, his perfect heaven with joy. That's what we have. That's what we have. And that's what God is calling us into. You know, he, he prophesies those four kingdoms in Daniel, but he also prophesies a fifth kingdom. And we looked at it in chapter 2. I think it's worth looking at again. In verse, chapter 2, verse 44, it starts and says this in Daniel. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. We haven't seen that kingdom yet, have we? Every kingdom that has been on the earth has been destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. That's the coming kingdom. That's a prophecy. Four parts of the five-part prophecy have been fulfilled. Four. And the fifth is coming. This is God's kingdom. We need to be ready. 
That's why I'm so excited about these coming chapters in Daniel. As we look at, at end times and we know that God is coming again, we need to be ready. We need to be a prayer-filled, faith-filled, confident, and courageous people. And as we look at these prophecies and know the truth of God's Word, we are going to be inspired to share the truth of the gospel with everyone we meet. What an exciting opportunity we have. Let's pray as we uh, close our service out today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we've, we looked at this today, Father, I just pray that, that God, you would, you would make yourself known by supernatural revelation to those here today that don't know you and watching today online that don't know you. Make yourself known to them right now by the power of your Spirit, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. It is that kind of revelation that brings transformation in our lives. And God, that's what we need. For those of us who know you, Father, for those of us who have been walking with you and, and seeking after you, I just pray that you would give us a fresh revelation, a deep, rev deeper revelation of who you are. We cannot, we cannot seek out all of who you are. You are endless. God, we just pray for a fresh revelation of who you are, that it would just push us in, out into our community with love, and grace and mercy in the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, before we sing our last song, I, I have the results from the vote that we did. And um, it's uh, unanimous for yes. So we will be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 148 voted, 148 approved. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, it's Jan June 1 that we start construction, right? Pending this vote. So yeah, so June 1, we're going to start seeing some progress at the new building, and that's going to be really exciting. So anyways, yeah, let's stand and worship God as we close our service today.